There actually is a pathway for Oklahoma to make it to the Big 12 championship and win their sixth consecutive conference title in a row. Now, you may not be ready for this conversation, and I'm not saying Oklahoma's going to do it, but there is a path there, and it's not as complicated as what you may think it is. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sooner Nation podcast. Matt Hofeld, along with Rich DeCray. And here's the thing. We're going to talk about uh, Oklahoma's path to the Big 12 championship. There's no game to break down. So Oklahoma makes the top three for a big-time recruit out of the state of Texas. There is one player who we do know is eligible that will be on the field most likely against TCU. In true or false, it's Richard's turn to ask. Plus, what is Oklahoma doing during the bye week, and what do we want them to do during the bye week? That pretty much sums up what we're going to discuss. Let's start here, Rich. Big 12 championship. I I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask anyway. Because I I feel like you're a logical guy, and you would answer this question. No, I think I think you would answer this. I think you would answer this in a logical fashion. Would you rather have Oklahoma make it to the Big 12 championship game, or would they, would you rather have the big a Big 12 team make it to the college football playoff? If you only have one, you can have Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game, or you can have a Big 12 team in the college football playoff. Which one would you pick? <laughs> I don't think you're going to like my answer. Please don't say you'd rather have the college football playoff. And, Please and, don't say that. I, I just I just set you up as being a logical guy. And I told you you didn't know me at all. Well, you're about to prove that and theory, here's, right? Here's what – when I begin to digest this question before blurting out an answer, initially it, it's hard to root against your own team. It's hard to look specifically at the Oklahoma Sooners and say – Yes, I would prefer them not to win a Big 12 championship. Oklahoma currently has two losses on the season for those who are not following the program or who may just be unaware of the current situation. No, I think everyone's aware of the current situation. Two and two. Oklahoma's not out of the conversation. They're just not in the driver's seat when it comes to the Big 12 championship. They're not in the driver's seat. Hey, listen, they're not not control their own destiny. They're not in the driver's seat, but they're not in the back seat. And we're going to talk about that. But I'm just. This is true. I'm I'm wanting to know your answer here. You've got me just. I I just. I I feel like I'm going to be speechless. You, 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 You probably will be. When I look at the college football landscape, knowing that this is a throwout year, this is a year that will come. I'm already shaking my head. I, I'm going to take a Big 12 team in the college football playoff. Okay. Let's let's talk about the best teams in the country. Alabama clearly better than I thought they were going to be. Mac Jones, I've got to give him credit. Mac Jones is better at quarterbacking than I thought he was going to be, all right? Clemson, number one team in the country. Uh, Georgia's pretty dang good. We haven't even mentioned Ohio State, who has not started playing yet. Georgia Alabama this weekend is going to be some fun football. So do you let, let's say let's say um, let's say Georgia beats Alabama, okay? Because I think that's what's going to happen. So let's say Georgia best team in the SEC right now, just just for this hypothetical. Georgia best team in the SEC. Clemson best team in the country. Notre Dame's kind of flexing their muscle a little bit, and then you throw an Ohio State in the mix. You think a Big 12 team is going to win a playoff game? 
I mean, has the Big 12 ever won a playoff game? No. So it's going to be the same old same-o is what I'm saying. Same old same-o. Big 12 is going to get the number four seed, and now, they're going to get throttled by Clemson. That's what's going to happen in this you, scenario. You can say that. You can no, say I, that. Yeah, I know I can. I, I just did. You can say that, but there is also the potential for you to be wrong No. in such a statement. When we look at – I'm looking at Oklahoma State right now because they're right. the only Right, that's the team we're talking about, yep. In the Big 12, they also possess one of the best defenses, mm, and we're mm, not talking about just mm, in the Big 12. We're talking mm, about across the mm, country. Mm, mm. You you look mm-hmm. at the experience, Matt. <laughs> I I see your head shaking. Who have they I played? Let's talk about let's talk about this great defense. Matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's Why? talk about this great defense, okay? Because because we, we do the same thing when people talk about the SEC saying, oh, they don't play any defense so, in the Big so Twelve, we're, and we're ta- wait wait a minute, we're talking about the Big Twelve offenses. That's why the defensive numbers are skewed. Now the SEC is getting to learn that. Did you see the Alabama Ole Miss score? Oh, I know you were traveling, but did you see that score over the weekend? I did. Like it was 516 to 512 or something like that was the final. Here's the point I'm making. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, let's give them credit for being the only undefeated team in the Big 12. But those wins come against a Tulsa team that struggled heavily offensively to start the season and still hasn't really found the rhythm. West Virginia, who doesn't have it figured out offensively, and Kansas. Let's let's revisit this. Oklahoma State defensive idea in about four weeks. I'm going to use the exact same argument against you here. Who has Ohio State played? You've labeled them as one of the best teams in the country. Who have they played? They, Matt, they haven't even started their season. Let's ask the same question then about a team who's already played a game. In fact, they've already played four, and they stand 4-0 and on the season. It's Clemson. They just who, torched who Miami. They torched Miami last weekend. Miami? Well, Miami's a top-10 team. They're about as good as... They were they not a top ten team when Clemson played them over the weekend? Has I, Oklahoma State played anyone close to the top ten? I have no clue what Miami was ranked. If they were in the top ten, that shocks me. No, they were. I, I'm no, gonna, and you're may, gonna you're gonna force me well, to go to the Googles. That may very well be the situation. I am clearly ignorant to the rankings, but what I do know is that Miami's not as good as what everyone believes them to be. Maybe they jumped up in the rankings because of. Two conferences. Number seven. It was number one versus number seven. And they were undefeated going into that game. I, I have no faith in y- your boy. I have no faith in ACC schools outside of Clemson. What about Notre Dame? They're not an ACC school. This year they are. No, they're they, ACC this year. Though. This is this is <laughs> a year with an asterisk. Now, remember this. Okay, so here's here's what I'm going to say. Uh, I think I, this is what I thought you were going to say. You know, logically speaking, that any Oklahoma fan – would rather have the Sooners win another conference title than to see well, Texas isn't going to win it. No, and so I can, I can live with the consequences of Oklahoma. I not cannot as long as it's yes. not Texas. Well, here's the thing. I, I I'm just going to say this, and here's your first chance. Reach out to us on Twitter at Sports Heartland on Twitter. Let us know. I would rather see Oklahoma win a sixth consecutive conference title than to see Oklahoma State get blown out by Clemson in the college football playoff. That's where I am. Or Iowa State. Iowa State has a chance. I think a one-loss team can get in. So let's throw Iowa State in there. I would rather Oklahoma win number six in a row than see Iowa State get blown out by Clemson. Hey, this is a serious question. My question wasn't serious? Where is Miami in the rankings? Did they completely fall out? I don't think they fell out. They were number seven going into last week. Oh, there they are, 13. Yeah. I I just skipped right over them. Okay, so here's the thing. Here's the whole reason I asked you that question. 
There is a path for Oklahoma to get to the Big 12 championship game. And the most likely scenario along that path would involve eliminating Oklahoma State as the top team in the Big 12. Now, it's there. It's there for the taking, if you're asking me. When you look at the Big 12, you've got three teams that are undefeated in conference play. Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, talk about a major blip for Iowa State. Lose it. You talking about that season opener in Louisiana? Their current record, Iowa State's looking like a, a decent football team. Yeah, well, and then Louisiana drops one uh, this week. But anyway, um, so here, here's, the, here's the situation. If you're Oklahoma, to get to the conference championship game, you don't have to have the best record in the Big 12. You only have to have the second best record in the Big 12, right? Because it's a conference championship. Correct. Best record, second best record, they Correct. play and, each other. And, and this year, it's, for me, Matt, the way that it's shaping up is it is going to come down to a tiebreaker for that second spot. And this is where Oklahoma State comes into play. So clearly, if you're the Sooners, you got to win out. Okay, I think there's some guys coming back when they play TCU and Fort Worth, or at least last, last, most last, it'd be the week after if not TCU. But I think they're coming back against TCU. But that, that that's re- just whatever. The point is, Oklahoma, I think, is going to get better. I think we've seen them getting better every week. They're, 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 they've got a week off. We're going to talk about what we wanted them to do during the bye week as if they asked our opinion. But Oklahoma's got to win out. There's, there's, no, there's no more room. There's no margin for error if you're the Sooners. But follow me here on this, on this scenario. Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. All three of these schools have to play each other still. Right? Now, Oklahoma's lost to Iowa State. They've lost to Kansas State. Well, you kind of get a gift here in the injury to Skylar Thompson. Because you need Kansas State to have three losses. I think three losses are coming without Skylar Thompson. He's done for the season. Wildcats right now sit at number 22 in the country, 3-1 and one on the season, 3-0 and oh in conference play, but they haven't hit the meat of their schedule yet, so to speak. I think they're going to lose to Iowa State. I think they're, they're going to lose to Oklahoma State. I think they could lose to, uh, to, to Texas even. I, I think they're limited in what they can do without Skylar Thompson. They're limited offensively. I do see three losses most likely coming for Kansas State. So you're winning out, boom, you pass Kansas State. Iowa State is at Oklahoma State in two weeks. The Cowboys are supposed to play Baylor this last weekend. So how long? It's going to be three Saturdays. By the time the Sooners, uh, the Sooners, forgive me, there you go, quarter in the jar. By the time the Cowboys take the field against Iowa State, it will have been three Saturdays since they played football. What do we know about Spencer Sanders right now? Nothing. What do we know about that offensive line for Iowa State right now? They're better than what we thought about. And let's go over to the other side of the field. Let's buy the offensive line for Oklahoma State. Not good. Not great. So you've got a better than we expected offensive line in Iowa State, a worse than expected offensive line against Oklahoma State, and then two pretty stout defensive lines going up against each other with a quarterback for the Orange and Black who has played two offensive series all season long. Oh, and by the way, there's a legitimate quarterback controversy going on in Stillwater. All I'm saying is this. Here's what I'm getting at before you interrupt me. I think Iowa, I think Iowa State beats Oklahoma State in Stillwater. I think that happens. You win Bedlam, you're in the Big 12 championship. It's that simple. Because I, I really believe quarterback play is going to is going to doom Kansas State. I really believe Iowa State is going to beat Oklahoma State, setting up Bedlam for a chance to go to the Big 12 championship next month. I do think it's a tall task 
It's not. For, it's not that for Iowa State to beat Oklahoma State. Really? It's not improbable. It's not something when you begin to look at these two teams and how they match up that you say is highly unlikely. And a lot of that comes down to fan involvement in the games. That home field advantage isn't quite as strong as it used to be. The noise raining down from the bleachers, from the stands, isn't as loud as it has been in, in previous years. When we look at home field advantage, it's often come with a three-point swing in terms of, of odds, and the odds makers have attached that to whoever the home team is. Again, I don't think that applies to this year. I don't know that Iowa State has really found their identity. I get it. They've got the leading rusher in the Big 12 in Brees Hall. But it doesn't seem as though they're 100% confident in relying on him to win games. It's still on the abilities of Brock Purdy. I disagree. I so. disagree. You look at their their win at Texas Tech, and, and I, I, I strongly disagree with you. And I think Brees Hall, his success makes Brock Purdy even, even better. Because you have to commit to that. You have to commit to Brees Hall. And that opens up more things for Brock Purdy. And we saw that when the Cyclones won at Texas Tech. And I want to give Kansas State credit because they went and they beat TCU without Skylar Thompson. So I'm not saying that they're falling off the wagon, you know, in their their season's tanked. I am saying I do think that there's three conference losses on par somewhere for Kansas State. But I disagree. I, I, I think I think they have found their identity in Brees Hall, and they're using Brees Hall to make Brock Purdy better. If the Big 12 Conference Championship takes place on December 12th, what you're telling me is Oklahoma State will be playing on December 12th? Well, Oklahoma State's going to— Baylor, yeah. it won't be in the conference <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma State's going to play so, on December 12th so one ultimate, way or the other. Ultimately, you're—I know that these are hypotheticals. But you're laying out these paths in which Oklahoma can make it to the Big 12 championship and in which they can claim a sixth consecutive right. and unprecedented sixth consecutive Big 12 championship. But the opponent you believe will be there, assuming that things go according to your plan, Iowa assuming State. that the, the Oklahoma Sooners went out, it is Iowa State. Yep. Yeah, and, that's, and I think that's the most – okay, so I'm speaking as a fan here because that's what we do, uh, but – it's the most probable scenario if Oklahoma was to make it to the Big 12 championship. I'm not saying they're going to make it to the Big 12 championship. And I even I, I realized that there were some Oklahoma fans. We saw this a few years back when Oklahoma lost to Houston. They lost to Ohio State. And what were people saying? Well, we don't want to go and do the Big 12 championship. We can't win this year. And what did they do? They won the Big 12 championship, and then they beat Auburn in the Sugar Bowl. So, I mean, this is – it's not like we haven't been in this situation before as Oklahoma fans. The question is out there, do you want Oklahoma in this game? I would love to see a rematch with uh, with Iowa State. Do you want Oklahoma in this game with a shot for a sixth consecutive title, knowing that it's going to eliminate what is right now perceived to be the Big 12's best option to have someone in the playoffs. Here's where it lies for me. Big 12 loyalty is well, is way in the back behind Oklahoma football loyalty. <laughs> I would much rather and, – and to me, if I can go to the Big 12 championship and it costs Oklahoma State a shot at the Big 12 title, it costs Oklahoma State a shot at, at, at the, the college football playoff, or even Texas. Texas will be even better, but we know that's not that's not a likely scenario – I'm all for that. I'm all for that. I'm going to, like I said, still sit on the opposite side of the fence 
from you. And it, it doesn't come down to a loyalty factor for me. It comes down to representation. It comes down to pride. And ultimately, if I had to stake everything on this, it would be this statement. It's that it's an opportunity to prove the doubters wrong of saying that the Big 12 and the Big 12 football as a whole is beneath these other conferences and beneath these other leagues and un, undeserving of any kind of look when it comes or even any kind of conversation when it comes to the college football playoff. Okay, he, here's all I'm going to say, and then we're going to move on. Um, <laughs> first of all, the doubters, whoever, whoever goes from the Big 12 is going to get manhandled by Clemson. That's just what's going to happen. So what is that going to do for the doubters? It's going to, oh, yeah, see the big – I mean, let someone else go and take one for the yeah, team. Clemson makes it. Clemson's going to uh, – barring, <laughs> barring a rapid COVID outbreak, Clemson's going to make it. But you're coming across as a guy who's a conference first guy instead of a team first guy. I'm okay I'm, with that. I'm opposite. I'm, I'm team first and then conference somewhere down the line. Okay, uh, Oklahoma gets a um, included in the top three for Billy Bowman and also a, a big-time player – Eligible this coming, uh, well, the next game, uh, a week from Saturday against TCU. Okay, so we talked about Billy Bowman a couple of weeks ago, maybe even one week ago. I, I don't remember, but he, he, here's the situation just to kind of reset the conversation. He was committed to the University of Texas, no longer is committed to the Longhorns, and has opened back up his recruiting. This last week, he released his top three. That includes Georgia, LSU, and Oklahoma. I think Billy Bowman has already committed to play at the University of Oklahoma. I think this, to me, this takes very much a feel of the Caleb Williams saga. I'm going to play it out. I'm going to get my love. I'm going to get my, you know, there are no, there are, there's no official visits that a person can take right now, but there's lots of love to receive on social media and so forth. I think, I think that's what we're going to see with Billy Bowman. But at the end of the day, I think he's coming to the University of Oklahoma. I think it's already predetermined. Um, and the reason I say that is because since his since his decommitment from the University of Texas, he's picked up six crystal ball predictions in total. So there's been six crystal ball predictions done by 24-7 Sports that have predicted where he's going to go. All six of those have Billy Bowman coming to the University of Oklahoma, and that includes guys like Mike Roach and Nick Harris, who are the Texas insiders for the Horns 24-7. So... Here's where I, I feel in this. Billy Bowman, he's an athlete. And if, if you don't know what this means, I'm, we don't want to insult your intelligence if you do know what it means. But if you don't know what it means, what, what, that, what that means is if you're, if you're listed as an athlete, it means you play both sides of the ball. And it's kind of up in the air where you're going to play in college. Bowman's 5'10". He's 175 pounds. He is a track star. He's got a skill set that's based on speed. So I can confidently tell you that if he lands – in Norman, he's going to be a receiver, right? Yeah, I do absolutely have to agree with what you stated pertaining to Billy Bowman and his recruitment. Oklahoma is the odds-on favorite to land the commitment and eventually have him sign the letter of intent with the program unless something goes horribly wrong. You like the connection there. You like that Texas pipeline, specifically out of North Texas. And we've mentioned some of the, the connections that already exist for Billy Bowman to the University of Oklahoma. But what it really brings up for me, Matt, is when we look at the current state of the Texas Longhorns, we look at the deep commitment from Bowman himself. 
and we look at what we had labeled as a season in which that hot seat gets just a little bit hotter for Tom Herman. Is this the start of a mass exodus pertaining to well, this this recruiting class? I'm glad you brought that up. It's almost like you knew where I was going with this because you mentioned North Texas. You mentioned you know the, the connections, and, and you brought this up. The last time we talked about Billy Bowman, his girlfriend is a big-time softball player, has already committed to play. Big-time? She's the number one recruit in the country. Right. She's already committed to play for Patty Gasso. She hit like 700 last season, which is just ridiculous. Um, <laughs> is this a video game? But um, I mean, Those are video games. But, but anyway, so we, we know that. We know that story. We know his girlfriend's going to OU to play softball, and so he, there, there's a connection there. That's why he's 75%. The, the, the predictions are 75% to the University of Oklahoma. Oklahoma, 12% to Texas, 13% somewhere else, yeah, right? I've, I've got him at 92.9 to Oklahoma. That sounds like a radio Versus station. Seven, I like seven that one better. One I, I like that one to, better, to, better to than Texas. <laughs> and as we know, Texas isn't really in the equation right. anymore. But you, you, and I like those, I like those odds better. But you brought up, um, you brought up connections and mass exodus. Bowman is one of two players from Denton, Texas, from, that are committed to the University of Texas right now, or that were. Bowman clearly no longer committed. But you know his one of his best friends, Jatavian Sanders, is a five-star defensive end who's currently committed to the Longhorns as well. And there's a lot of smoke out there that Sanders and Bowen, they, 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 they want to be a, a package deal. So you get Bowman, you get Sanders. You get Sanders, you get Bowman. That's the idea. That's the take here. And remember, we're talking about, still talking about the 2021 class. This isn't, we're not getting into 2022. These are guys who could be on campus next year that could sign their letter of commitment as early as December. We're a month and a half away from these guys being able to sign their letter of commitment. But here, here's, you, you talked about the possibility of an exodus on the Texas recruiting class, the Longhorns currently rank 17th nationally, number two in the Big 12. They have 17 commitments. Their top two guys, top two guys in this class were Jatavian Sanders and Billy Bowman. And if you lose both of those guys, how, how I mean, again, there's no love loss between me and the Longhorns. If you listen to this podcast, you know that. That would just be the best thing ever for me to see – Oklahoma just pillage the Longhorns recruiting class by flipping their top two commitments. And that's a very real possibility right now. It is a very real possibility. And as the season wears on, I think we're going to get more and more of a glimpse into what some of these players are thinking. They may not decommit initially. They may stay committed for the time being and then immediately commit elsewhere, which would signal again that that mass exodus, the decommitment from Texas, but it may be more of a signal of what's going on surrounding the Texas program and, and what these recruits are hearing. You've got to remember connections are huge. And mm -hmm. if you land on a campus where that connection's immediately gone, you you find yourself more often than not looking for a way out, looking for the the opportunity to transfer and another program that will take you in where you can succeed. Right. By the way, Bowman, the number five ranked player from the state of Texas. Sanders, the number four ranked player from the state of Texas. Bowman, 32 scholarship offers. Sanders, 22 scholarship offers. Um, again, this is this Isn't is a crazy, very real possibility that Oklahoma's going to get both of these kids. Just yeah, so, it's crazy. It's, it's just a random thought, but you're mentioning the numbers of scholarship offers. And 
it never fails that a guy the caliber of Sanders will never will never hit the same number of offers as a guy like Bowman. And it really just to me, it's because he's not a skill position. It's also because he doesn't have the opportunity to play on the defensive side of the ball. Whereas Bowman gets the the four stars mm-hmm. versus the five stars, there's more opportunity, there's more versatility, there's more use for a guy like that. It kind of kind of blows my mind. Random thought of the day. Okay, well, neither one of these guys are going to, are going to help Oklahoma against TCU a week from Saturday, but somebody who will help the Sooners is Christopher Murray. Now, I know we talked before we started recording. You say Chris Murray. He, I, we'll see how it shakes out. I know he's officially listed as Chris Murray on the Oklahoma roster, but I've been told he prefers Christopher. I've only known one individual in my entire lifetime who has the name Christopher and per and preferred to go by Christopher versus Chris. One I'm, person. I mean, I'm just this, this could, and I I don't know Murray personally, but don't? this this could be number two. <laughs> well, here's it. When when he first transferred, you know, we, we reached out to some UCLA folks and we, we we talked to them, and I referred to him as Chris Murray multiple times, and they're like, you know, he he actually prefers Christopher. So that's the you now it could be you know start starting new school yeah new, new exactly it could it could be that a hundred percent of the time but here's the point this guy he can come in and he can immediately help shore up an offensive line particularly at the guard spots that has struggled you know Tyrese Robinson Marquise Hayes have both had their struggles I don't know that he comes in from day one and becomes a starter I, I really I don't know that we see that happen but. I do see him coming in and making a difference on this line. He can play center. I mean, he, he can play just about any of the five positions on the line, but he's an interior guy at heart. And I, you can't you can't not be excited about him, number one, when you see his potential, former freshman All-American, and then you see, you see how this line has played. They were better against Texas, but they're still not up to par with what we're used to from a Bill Biedenboe unit. And that means Bill Biedenboe is going to put the best five out there. And if Murray is better than than one of these other guys, I would expect to see him out there in spot duty against TCU and then maybe as a starter moving forward. Here's what we do know about the offensive line, as you've alluded to, is it's not set in stone. We don't have that starting five as we did back in the Orlando Brown days you had a solid five that was virtually impenetrable whether you were that second guy on the depth chart or whether you were a defensive line going against that offensive line they earned the label of one of the best because of their experience together the knowledge of each other's tendencies i don't feel like we have that this year even though we were expecting to have something very similar to what we saw there 20, what was it, 2017 was Orlando Brown or 2016? Uh, it was because you, you get into Cody Ford after Orlando Brown. I think mm-hmm. that was 17. So, yeah. So, yeah. The guy who stands to benefit the most is anyone who can come in and be physical. What we've heard, what we know about Chris Murray, the way that he's been described on social media from some of the analysts and guys who are beat writers for the Oklahoma Sooners, they have said, quote unquote, he has violent hands. And you begin to, Matt, I know you've labeled Creed Humphrey as a nasty player in the trenches. You're looking for that physicality. You're looking for someone 
who can dominate the line of scrimmage and get an edge against whoever they're matched up with one-on-one. You've talked about some of the deficiencies there in pass protection. I don't know that Chris Murray's going to be significantly better in pass protect, but he will certainly be better in run, uh, opening up those running lanes and, and getting this running game moving. But when I look when I look at Murray, yes, I know I've called him Chris. If he prefers Christopher, my apologies. But when we look at Murray, I don't think he's listening. We see an opportunity for him to step in. We see an opportunity for him to contribute. But more importantly, I think we see the demeanor, we see the tenacity that we've come to desire in an offensive lineman. And now not only do you have Creed Humphrey at the center of that, you've got Murray wherever they decide to plug him in, which hopefully spurs these other guys on to reach that same level. Yeah, and you look at the situation with Oklahoma's defensive backs against Texas. You, you, you sprinkle in a few other guys – and suddenly that rotation becomes a lot more competitive and there's mm-hmm. there's more of a push there. And, and you know, Murray plays a part. He, he's 6'3", 297, where Marquise Hayes, 6'5", 347. So he, he's bigger. Robertson, Tyrese Robinson, 6'3", 335. And so, I mean, he's he's there size-wise. He he gives a little bit to both of those guys. But suddenly, you know, you're, you're getting pushed by a guy who, who has the potential to take your spot you're paying a little bit more attention in film study and, and you're, you're, you're focusing a little bit more on that snap count and you're really taking conditioning seriously suddenly. So I do think Murray could step in somewhere along this line and take over a starting role. I'm not saying it will a hundred percent happen, but I think it, I think it's likely that it does, but even if it doesn't, it's because Marquise Hayes and Tyrus Robinson have been pushed to be better, much like we saw on the secondary against Texas couple of other guys out there, they prove that they can do what you're doing. So now you got to be better. Oklahoma's offensive line certainly has talent. But I don't know that it's a situation where Murray is, is kept off the field. I'm subscribing to what you laid out at the very beginning of this conversation in that he may take up some spot duty against TCU, but we see him full-time in that rotation. We see him contributing in a, a much heavier role in the games following TCU. All that said, I thought another UCLA transfer, Theo Howard, would have a bigger role than what he's had as well within this offense. So we'll wait and see. Hey, Matt, we ended the conversation here on the Sooner Nation podcast centering around the offensive line as well as Chris slash Christopher Murray and the, the talent that he brings as well as his ability to contribute, whether that is immediately or down the road. One thing that I do want to ask as we kick off this true or false segment, as I'm using that as more of a segue than anything, to kick off the true or false, here's what I want to ask you. True or false, the introduction of Murray completely eliminates any of the issues that we've experienced on the offensive line thus far. Oh, I got to say false at this point because we haven't seen Christopher Murray play. Or Chris Murray. We've not seen him on the field. We know the potential, right? We know the potential, but we haven't seen it translate out. I mean, this guy could be just as nervous as Tyrese Robertson. This guy could be just out of, as out of shape as anybody else out there. Marquise Hayes getting those holding penalties because he's out of shape and he's worn down in the third, late third into the fourth quarter. So I don't think at this point I can say to you, oh, yeah, this fixes everything. 
I think it's potentially a big step forward in fixing everything. But if you're if you're making me say right now, yeah, everything's smooth from now on, I can't do that because I haven't seen him play. So I'm about to go false. Let's attack this then from a different angle because we've seen on both sides of the ball, offensively as well as defensively, we've seen flashes of greatness. We've seen the potential that exists on this roster, but we've also seen some of the shortcomings. We've seen some of those deficiencies and we've seen some of those play major roles in the first four games of the season, the deficiencies or the lack of consistency there. So my true or false question and I'm piggybacking, if we're saying that Murray is not the end-all be-all, he's not the fix to the offensive line, true or false, consistency is. And that goes for every position. Any of the struggles that we've seen so far, Matt, let me let me rephrase that. One of the things that you and I had labeled, I had asked you this on a previous true or false segment, and what we had labeled as the biggest shortcoming of this team was the culture. Lincoln Riley had mentioned that himself, but I, I'm beginning to rethink that statement, and I'm really saying that that consistency has been the biggest issue for this team. It's been the one thing that's either held them back or propelled them to a victory. True or false, consistency is the the big thing plaguing this team, not culture. Well, when you say consistency, do you mean like consistency in number of reps a, a guy gets on the field in game time? Consistency, because consistency, consistency in can, execution. Well, that can be good or bad because you can be consistently bad, <laughs> or you can be consistently good, but you're still consistent. I just, I just need true or false. I well, need I, an I, I, I need a better explanation you of can the take question. It however you want to. I, listen, consistency is it's complicated because. Yes, right now they're consistently sloppy. Okay, so that that means there's a problem. So you you see this team with holding penalties. You see them with false start penalties. You you see them do things that are really out of the norm for a Bill Beatenbow offensive line. But consistently, they're getting better. They were, they were better against Iowa State than they were against Kansas State. They were better against Texas than they were against Iowa State. But they're still not up to par. And, and we've talked about this at length. They missed spring ball. They, they had a, a crazy, out-of-whack, normal, uh, unnormal, un, 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 abnormal fall camp that got paused and then brought back together. So here's the thing. I'm going to answer your question this way. It's true because they're consistently they're consistently sloppy, they're consistently getting better, and they're consistently getting reps. So you take all that together and the consistency is is the key. It's the issue. That that'll be the key to success. <laughs> Let, let's look at these future games then because for two two weeks roughly there's about including this bye week a lot of the conversation has centered around hashtag free the three. Mm-hmm. We know about the three players who have been suspended, Trajan Bridges, Ramondre Stevenson on the offensive side of the ball, and of course, Ronnie Perkins on the defensive side of the ball. There were some rumblings that there would be an appearance, specifically by Ronnie Perkins, after he showed up on the sideline that he would play in the Red River rivalry. A lot of people thought he could be that difference maker that helped Oklahoma get over the hump, that helped them erase some of the the problems on the back end in the secondary of this defense. 
That didn't happen. We know that Oklahoma still got the win. Now they're on a bye week. Five games have passed, which does fulfill the requirement as set forth by the NCAA pertaining to their we, suspension. We think it does. We, we, we don't know does. for sure, but we think it does. You're correct. We think it does. So my question is, is this the week that these three rejoin the team, true or false, rejoin the team, and finally get on the field in a game? Well, I, I do think— It could be any one of the three. It doesn't have to be all three. Well, I think you're going to see for sure two of the three. I think you're going to see Ramondre back. I think you're going to see Trajan Bridges back. Now, Ronnie Perkins has just been a crazy, crazy story. And it, the information literally changes from day to day with his situation. You talked about it. We saw him at Iowa State. We thought he was going to be cleared to play against Iowa State, for sure against Texas. And then he wasn't even on the sidelines against Texas. Something interesting happened earlier in the week where you saw several Oklahoma players tweet out about having all three of these guys back, and then all those tweets were deleted. I don't, I don't know if you were aware of that or not. I don't know if the, if the, the casual fan is aware of that. But I think, I think Bridges and Stevenson have been cleared. Now, Perkins is an interesting situation, and here, here's what I know about Ronnie Perkins. The reason Ronnie Perkins isn't playing right now is on Ronnie Perkins. He, he, here's what I can tell you. I can tell you 100% factually that Ronnie Perkins has not completed all the requirements necessary for him to get back on the field. That's what I can tell you. Now, can that happen in what well, we got 10 days before the next game? We're recording this on a Thursday night. Can that happen before they go to Fort Worth? Possibly. But there are things that Ronnie Perkins was supposed to do and things that he was supposed to submit to get back on the field and end his suspension. And he has yet to do all of that. So the reason Ronnie Perkins isn't playing is not because... Somebody messed up on the on the NCAA level. It's not because somebody in OU compliance or a coach or a GA, somebody messed up within the Oklahoma football program. The reason Ronnie Perkins isn't eligible is because of Ronnie Perkins. Now, I can again, I can tell you that with a hundred percent factual statement. I will what little reputation I have, I will bet it on that. I know this. Is now I'm not going to go out and say like some other that we've we will never see Ronnie Perkins again. I don't believe that's the case at this point. But I do believe now we have flipped that script from Iowa State to where it's more likely we would see Ramondre Stevenson and Trajan Bridges before we see Ronnie Perkins. And I do think there's a very good chance we see both of those guys in Fort Worth. So the answer, I'm, I'm going to say true. The, the short answer. True. true. Right. Hey, let's go ahead. I'm, I'm going to focus specifically on um, this team and, and what we saw against Texas in that Red River rivalry because I know we've had some time to digest. We've had some time to compose our thoughts and whatever contribution the three would have made, we we aren't able to see that at this point in time. And so we're really basing what I'm about to ask you off of before that moment without any of these changes that could potentially be coming. When we look at this defensive line, Matt, I don't know if you were aware if you even listen to any of the noise, but there were people calling for a coaching change at that position, saying that something, and it always goes to the head, 
something needed to change in order for that group to be successful. Through four games, I think that's the one unit that has surprised us the most. Given the situation that they were placed in, the absence or removal of a guy like Neville Gallimore, of course, we didn't have Ronnie Perkins there, and then Jalen Redmond opted out. That was a group that I certainly expected to struggle. That has not been the case. In fact, I would have labeled it as, as the strong suit of this defense. Now that the defensive line has played up to this level that they're playing at and has sustained that for several weeks now, the true or false, the defensive line by their play has squashed any notion that this coaching staff needs to change specifically the defensive line coach. Well, first of all, I don't believe that there was ever – you're talking about Calvin Thibodeau, the defensive Correct. line coach. And I, I don't believe outside of a portion of the fan base there was ever any pressure on Thibodeau to be replaced. Because the guy – I mean, he's a master recruiter, okay? And also, he's been sharing that responsibility. It's not been solely on his shoulders to develop that defensive line until this year. And we're seeing these guys thrive. And we talk about Perry and Winfrey, the guy who got on campus, missed spring ball. And had a major impact. Right. That's that's the point I'm making. Missed spring ball. We talked about the fall camp. And then that dude was a monster against Texas. I mean, same thing with Ellison. And we're we're seeing – you you asked me a question a while back about, you know, are there any stars on this defense? And one of the guys I mentioned was – Elite playmakers. Right. One of the the players I mentioned at the time was Isaiah Thomas. And we saw, I mean, six sacks against Texas last Saturday. And almost all of them attributed to what's happening up front – with this defensive line. The front seven for the University of Oklahoma is the best part of this defense, and this line is the best part of the front seven. Now, keep in mind, you go look at message boards, you go look at Twitter, and there's people out there asking for Alex Grinch to be fired. There's people out there asking for Lincoln Riley to be fired. So if you're a coach at a program of this type of prestige, there's always someone going to be saying, you should be fired. But if you're still saying that about Calvin Thibodeau, then you, you don't, you're not paying attention to what's happening. So I'm going to say true, even though I don't believe there was really any pressure outside of just rumblings from a portion of the fan base that's always going to be disgruntled about something. Everyone talks about Alex Grinch and whether the hire was good or not based upon the way that management of the game, maybe for lack of a better term, They're late in the third quarter and even into the fourth quarter. We know that Oklahoma has now let three consecutive teams back into a game in the second half. Mm -hmm. I won't say just the fourth quarter, but in the second half. And the questions to me center around that pretty heavily. If we were going to be very picky and we were actually going to begin to point the finger, I I do agree we're not pointing it at the front seven. We're pointing it at the secondary. Mm -hmm. All the flags, all the penalties that have been thrown. And if you want to get real specific, you're you're throwing that finger pretty heavily at Brendan Riley Hiles at this moment. What we saw was an, an experiment. You just said we're throwing the finger at Brendan Riley Hiles. Yeah, the pointer. Are you like the, the girl? The, finger. the girl on the Texas sideline. Are, are, are you no, are you telling are, are you telling Buki he's number one? I, hey, some Oklahoma fans may be doing that, Matt. I'm not one of them. Okay. But what I do know is that Alex Grinch sees a problem. He begins to address that, and we see the insertation of Joshua Eaton and Woody Washington on the back end. That was an experiment. My true-false question, based upon what we saw again in the Red River rivalry, 
The secondary with the introduction of those two names is something that must continue to happen in order for this group to be successful. You know, yes, the, the answer is true. But here's the thing. Woody Washington and Joshua Eaton both came in at corner. Mm-hmm. There's got to be some help at safety. Right. Well, you, you look at the number of plays that Pat Fields and Buki play. I, and I just I don't think there's any other options at this point. I, I, if there were, and again, this is just me coaching. I think they had an option. I, I think it was an injury. Maybe. Um, here's what I'm going to say. If, if I was coaching defense for the University of Oklahoma and I had options – then Buki would have never come back on the field after he destroyed the Texas punt returner. You know, that that's early in the game. You're, right. you're, first series, you're punting, and he could have easily have been ejected for targeting. He could have easily been ejected. I don't know why they didn't review it. I don't know why they didn't look at it. But it could have easily have been a targeting penalty, and now you're out. And, and we're going back to the Peach Bowl situation. The guy just makes bad decisions but I don't think there's anyone behind him. Well, Justin Harrington is the name that I'm thinking about. Right, but he was corner. He was a corner. I thought he would have made himself available as a safety. Here's what I think. Did did he not play safety at the Juco Rams? I think he was a corner. Here's what I think happened is that they moved Woody Washington from safety to corner because of his injury. Gotcha. And so Woody Washington could be your answer at safety, but he's giving you depth at corner. I'm I'm looking at Justin Harrington, 6'3", 215, a guy who easily fills in as a safety based upon those numbers, mm-hmm. his height and his weight. If they got in that corner, more power to him. You just don't see corners that size at Oklahoma very often. Well, you're going to, though. That, I, that's... Hope, I hope that's the trend that we are seeing. My impression was that Justin Harrington was being recruited to come in and play the safety position. Now, when he goes down with that injury and then is now going to miss the season because of it, of course it leads you thin. Mm-hmm. I, I kept saying I wanted Oklahoma to recruit cornerbacks. All of a sudden, there's this plethora of cornerbacks, it feels like. You may you may have been onto something, Matt, with the safety position and saying that it's one area Oklahoma, specifically Alex Grinch, needs to hit heavily on this recruiting trail. Well, and again, just to, to clarify, he was safety in junior college, but they brought him to Oklahoma, I believe, for the to play corner. Right, and, and he's listed as a corner. Okay, I was, I was about to look yeah, up I, the depth I, chart. I double-check okay. it myself. Okay, is that it? I, I passed the test on true or false? Yeah, I'm giving you some easy ones, I guess, this week, huh? I, I appreciate it because next week I get to hit you up about Oklahoma and TCU. A couple of quick things as we're going to uh, finish this out. Uh, only one Big 12 game. We're going to just talk about that for just a quick second. Okay, so you go into a bye week and you it's clearly not as as stressful or even as as demanding as game week. And, and when you're, when you're on the buy, what you want to do, you want to get healthy. First of all, if you got guys who are nicked up, dinged up, a few guys on the defensive line, have, you know, against Texas kind of got nicked a little bit there in the end. And so you want to see those guys get healthy. You want to take a minute and you want to focus on fundamentals. And when I say fundamentals, I mean, just where do you line up on the field and what is your assignment in this situation? And some of that will be chalk talk, where you sit there with your position coach and you do it all X's and O's on the chalkboard. Some of that is film study where you pause it and you say, okay, this, you see this set, what are you supposed to do? And then some of that's out on the field where you actually do the fundamentals of breaking down and, and tackling, you know, or turning your hips inside and, and when to look back for the ball. So you, you focus on all of that and you stay healthy. You take a light week as far as the physicality of your practices, And then you go back in 
starting Sunday to game week mode for TCU. Now, there are some things outside of that that I believe that I would like to see Oklahoma focus on. And there's small things that kind of go along that same time frame. Now, Rich, I've got three things. You have how many? Just one. Just one. Just okay. One. This is in-depth analysis right here. So I'm going to let you go first because there, as typically we see, there's a chance that you and I will have the same one. Or there's a chance that collectively we'll have four. So you, you go first and tell me what yeah, you got. The, the only one for me, Matt, is because I've seen this offense, I, I've seen this defense produce at a high level. So I know that they have the ability. I know that they have the talent. The one thing that Oklahoma seems to struggle in, and you can go, this has been charted out. It's something that's all over Twitter at the moment. Oklahoma in the first quarter, great. In the fourth quarter, bad. They have adopted this theme. In fact, when I was on campus 2004, 2005, the Adrian Peterson year, Jason White as the quarterback, a plethora of other names that people are very familiar with, their their motto for that year was finish Mm -hmm. as a football team. And I feel as though that's being adopted once again. It's something that Oklahoma hasn't quite been able to do. That could be a mentality issue. It could be a conditioning issue issue. I'm not certain which one I'm ready to say is the the candidate that Oklahoma needs to focus on solely. But what I am saying is that if they want to adopt this idea and they want to utter the phrase of finish, they actually need to learn how to do that. And it, it comes down to the simple statement of learning how to win. Right. And we've talked about that, that this team needs to learn how to win. So let me let me ask you this. Based on what you just said, let's take this OU Texas game, four overtimes, and let's go back three weeks, and let's put this game in, a, in the same slot as Kansas State three weeks ago. Does OU win this game? I, I don't think so. You think about it, that big lead. Mm-hmm. They blow the big lead. They go into overtime. Right. Do the Sooners win? There was a lot of momentum, and there was momentum that had shifted heavily mm-hmm. in Texas's favor. I think the the wind was completely sucked out of the sails for a second time, mind you, when Gabe Burkich missed right. that field yes. goal, what should have been a chip shot for him. So the ability for them to come out, to go ahead on the offensive side of the ball, not only score, but convert that two-point conversion. Great and then the, throw, the by defense the defense to crack down, get that interception on a quarterback that we have said is not the greatest when asked to throw the ball. And he was asked to throw pretty consistently. I mean, Sam Ellinger is going to be the offense of the Texas Longhorns. We knew that. That wasn't any kind of a surprise. I think the number of times he threw, though, was a little bit of that surprise for, for people like myself who don't follow. I feel like Texas somebody Longhorns. mentioned that Didn't in the preview you, for oh, that game. Wait, I'm not saying it's you. Uh, but when when he throws the ball, reaches back, and goes for the end zone, for the defense to come up with that turnover, knowing it's one thing that mm-hmm. Alex Grinch, again, has hit heavily on with this specific unit, with this specific set of players – I don't think Oklahoma wins that game two weeks ago, right. but they are showing that progress. I just think that one should have been won in regulation. And granted, there were some funny funny things going on within the officiating. I don't know that that would have decided the game. I even said when we did our recap here on Monday that Texas still scores, whether they had the additional 30 I seconds. I, well, here's, here's what I don't know that they do because uh, I didn't plan to talk about this, but I think if you take that 36 seconds off the clock, I don't think Lincoln Roddy throws on third and nine. I don't either. So therefore, I don't I don't know that I can confidently say that Texas scores. 
I mean, they went into a two-minute offense. But how many seconds were left on the clock when Texas scored their touchdown? There's been speculation that had Oklahoma ran the ball instead of passing it on that third and nine, fourth, Third and down. nine. No, third. They punted them fourth, so it's right. third and down. So, but instead of punting, if they ran the ball in that fourth down, there's been speculation that, that – Yeah, that's that's not a smart move. Punt. Okay, you so punt the maybe, ball. Maybe the third and nine okay. was the run. And I'm getting it confused. But there was speculation that there would have been 40 to 50 seconds left for Texas. Right. I'm just saying I, I, that, that 36 seconds was was a bigger deal than, than – I mean, you, you look, Oklahoma won, so it's – it's it, still it, an egregious it, error. Yeah, it's a bad deal. But, Doesn't matter how you spend but it. But here, here, the reason I asked you about if, if you go back two or three weeks ago, does Oklahoma win this game, is because I think we're seeing them learn mm-hmm. how to win. Right. We're seeing them learn how to overcome difficulties and setbacks. The other thing that they've got to do is they've got to condition themselves, and this will take place week by week. They, they will get better with conditioning every week. And one of the things that I know that they're doing this week during their bye week is they're running. They're getting – they are – because there's no game on Saturday. So you're going to run these guys to death this week, and then you're going to give them the Saturday off to rest. And then you come back for game prep Saturday night or and Sunday, most likely Sunday. So those things I do believe are going to get better, and I think that's a great point that you see them work on. One of them is mentally learning to win. The other one is physically getting yourself in shape. I've got three things real fast I want to throw out here that I like to see them work on. And and one of them starts with the quarterback, Spencer Rattler. Number two in the Big 12 in interceptions. Can't have that. I mean, you can't, you just can't. I mean, I know he's young and I give him credit. I think the sky's still the limit with him. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. I'm not saying that I'm done with him. I'm not saying that Caleb Williams is going to come in and replace him like some people are next year. I think that kind of uh, conversation is just ludicrous. But what I am saying is, what Lincoln Riley did to refocus him against Texas last weekend, hopefully that focus stays. What we're seeing from Spencer Rattler, what I believe, is we're seeing a young quarterback try to do too much. We're seeing him say, I can do this. I'm going to make the play. Where the reality is he needs to trust the guys behind him, and he needs to trust the guys in front of him, and he needs to trust the guys beside him and not try to do too much with the ball. And part of that is – Don't have your mind made up before you take the snap of where you're going to throw the ball. Don't do that. you got to work on turnovers with your quarterback. The second thing is we got to develop receivers. You know, know, Theo Weiss had his best game against Texas. Drake Stoops, I think, is an underrated guy. Marvin Mims, star in the making. But let's think about the names I didn't just mention. Where's Charleston Rambo? Where's Theo Howard? Why are we why are we only talking three deep with this receiver class right now, and we're not talking five plus deep? We got I mean, there's there, this conversation about the receivers. Whether it's a uh, someone said on Twitter, um, a great question on Twitter. You know what's the deal with Charleston Rambo? And and it could be it could be a situation where it's he's never been the guy. We talked about this a while back before. I mean preseason stuff. He's never been the spotlight guy. And now he has to be the spotlight guy. It could be as simple as the rapport between Spencer Rattler and these younger guys. Or it could be that Oklahoma, and up until Saturday, we hadn't seen Oklahoma with a developed running game. Or it could be all of the above. I, you want to say something? Yes, so I go, do. Go yes, ahead. I do. All I wanted to throw in there was you look at what Oklahoma's had in the past, and you, you can immediately begin to name guys – and you can immediately begin to pinpoint their strengths. What I, I don't know 
that Oklahoma has this year is a guy who is runs these immaculate routes. Mm-hmm. You, you you're can, saying C.D. Lamb doesn't play on this team? You can yeah, C.D. Lamb. You can look at at Marquise Brown. There were guys that were excellent route runners. I see a lot of that in a guy um, who plays at, at the tight end position. I I don't know that that's coming from the receivers just yet. Right, and that's that's something that's the reason I'm throwing out there. That's what I wanted to see them work on. And then here's the last thing, and this may be a little bit surprising because I've raved about the front seven on this defense, but you know Deshaun White, something that's not been talked about very much. Deshaun White got replaced last weekend against Texas, and David Agubwe, Agub Agubwebu. Thank you. I, I knew I wasn't saying it right, so I just stopped I talking. Uh, no, I, Big 12 Player of the Week, but because of what he did, special teams mostly. But he had a good game against Texas. Um, this is a mental thing with Deshaun White. This isn't a physical thing. This is a mental thing. And when we talk about this front seven across the board with these linebackers, you gotta get, it goes back to what I said at the very beginning on a bye week. you got some chalk talk. you got to go out there and say, hey, listen, what happens here? But the good news is when Deshaun White was replaced – you got production, and that's that's a good. That, that's that's not what you're getting at safety. So, that's it. Anything else you want to say on my three topics? No, not at all. Um, but you're pinpointing Uguebu as as that replacement. The guy who stood to benefit the most to me was Nick Benito. And you talk about a guy showing up on on the stat sheet mm-hmm. who hasn't necessarily had a major major impact in any games. Nick Benito was was that guy when Deshaun White was removed who stepped up to the challenge. And I get the the weekly accolade going in Uguebu's favor for special teams player of the week. But Nick Benito was the star from that position. We need him to get better. That's all I'm saying. Okay, across the Big 12, Oklahoma-Baylor gets postponed. Baylor uh, with the COVID breakout. You, I've got opinions. Everyone's got opinions about that. Uh, do better, Baylor. I'm just saying, be better, okay? Okay. Um, Oklahoma State, Baylor, that game's off the board now. The only Big 12 game this weekend, Kansas at West Virginia. Mountaineers, 22-and-a-half-point favorite. And they cover, don't they? Uh, listen, Look, man. Their, their defense has, has been pretty salty. Their only loss this season is Oklahoma State. I don't think they're a good offensive team. I think Letty Brown, Brown's a good running back, and they're going to rely on him. Kansas is just so bad. They're worse than they were last year. Les Miles has regressed in year two. They're just so bad. I wouldn't touch this line. I wouldn't touch this game. I'm probably not, honestly, not even going to watch this game. There's better football on to watch. But I would be shocked. Shocked, I say, if the Jayhawks walk out of Morgantown with the win. I would, too. Okay, that wraps it up. Enjoy your stress-free weekend of college football with the Sooners being off. We won't have a Sunday podcast because there's no game to recap. We'll be back midweek next week. Until then, boomer sooner, everybody.